What's going on, Skytown? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James Kay. With me on the mic on this overcast afternoon in Chicago is Chris Pennant. It kind of describes the feeling everyone's kind of feeling right now. Um, Chris, how are you doing after processing Game 5? Uh, it, it, it definitely feels real. I, I think there's sometimes where sports events like that don't feel real. I remember feeling that way after the Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl, waking up the next day and thinking, man, I can't believe Russell Wilson won back-to-back Super Bowls. And then everything came crashing back in and I've got mad all over again. But that one was such a slow, slow crumble. There's no way it didn't feel real, you know? There, there it is. It still sucks, but it happened. It doesn't feel real at all, honestly. Like, there was a point in the game where I was like, how am I going to afford a ticket to Vegas? Like, I was thinking about ways to fundraise for it and try to figure out how to make that work logistically, along with figuring out stuff with my health. And honestly, let's just get into it, man. I mean, I still can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but Chicago Blue nine-point lead with 446 left in the fourth quarter of game five against the Sun and they also had an 11-point lead at the 720 mark and Connecticut somehow rallied and went on a 20 what was it a 22 to 2 run to erase the sky's lead and now they're the ones that punch their ticket to the finals against the Las Vegas Aces starts tomorrow which I don't think we even need to get into right now, but let's just be simple with this because I think a lot of people asked about it with our listener submitted questions. Chris, what happened in the fourth quarter? What stuck out to you the most when we were, we got to sit next to each other for this game, which was so fun, but yeah, right. Um, well, what, what stuck out to you? James, I don't, I hate to put you on blast here, but when you leaned over to me, I think it was either right at the beginning of the quarter or when uh, Ka went to the basket for their first uh, bucket of the of the quarter, which I think it was, no, I remember it. I wrote it down. It was Emma Miesemann hitting the three. Oh, okay, Kenneth, and I was like, if they're hitting like this, it's over. My man they said, did not hit like that, Chris. They did not hit like that the rest of the way. <laughs> My man said they're going back to the finals. That's they're going back to the finals. And I remember looking at the clock and there was still seven minutes or so left on the, on the clock. And I was like, we, we got to wait, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And this is a team that I think we just, we had seen, we had seen them blow leads. We'd seen them blow leads against um, New York and we'd seen them falter down the stretch of the season. And so that, that sticks out for sure. But I think just realizing how tired the team looked and how much that fatigue showed when Courtney hit that through the through that pass off the backboard when they were trying to chase that three point deficit. Um, even Emma's shot from the corner, which was a good shot, it just rimmed out. You're looking at that like those are shots she's hit pretty much all game. Pretty much the last couple games of the series, Emma had good shots like that that had had gone down. And then, boy, they just looked so gassed. Like they. I said yesterday on, on a Twitter space about it. I felt that was the only time, the first time and the only time that I'd seen this guy really show their, their collective age. They looked tired. They, they looked like an older team. And it, it really showed. 
in in that in those last five minutes of the fourth quarter. I think that's the thing that sticks out to me the most. I, there's something that I did not notice that I want to bring up if it's not brought up later, but that's what stuck out to me the most. They looked like a tired team. I agree. This was one of those games where both teams were just not going to utilize the bench the same way that they would. I mean, obviously, Brianna Jones is like the sixth starter on that team. Like She's right. pretty much a starter at this point. And I was just really blown away by the last, again, seven minutes of this game, just the way that they were able to make shots. Like if you just watch the last quarter, you don't need to be an X's and O's expert to just see that they just became so deflated. Honestly, they kind of panicked. They kind of panicked. And it's tough when you're, you have the momentum and then it's all on you to just close it out. And the sun only scored eight points in the third quarter. That's when I thought like, okay, you know what? Defense is going to win this game. They put the clamps down. And I thought that I really thought we were going to see more Rebecca Gardner in the fourth quarter, just to be like, Hey, let's just get our two best defenders out on the floor or not yeah. like, um, the two best perimeter defenders out on the floor with Ka and Rebecca. And let's just make Connecticut make shots. And you know, we didn't really see that. I think it, I understand why they would make that decision of like, hey, you know what? Maybe you do put your five best players out on the floor and the spacing that Ali Quigley gives you. But at the same time, the shots weren't falling. And I thought that we were going to see Rebecca Gardner come in with like with the skies lead, probably like a, like the seven point mark at that point and just be like, okay, put the clamps down and make sure that like that we make life as hard as possible for Connecticut. And obviously the turnovers led to a lot of like Alyssa Thomas in the open court is just devastating the teams. And she really stepped up for them that last couple minutes. So it's crazy. I'm still shocked that we're here, man. Like, I know I keep saying it, but I'm just shocked that we're even talking about this. They should have been in the finals right now. Yeah, you're exactly right. They... I don't think it was a, a function of them playing down to teams. I think there was just some fatigue and that fatigue might've led to some stubbornness in terms of rotations or style of play. And honestly, I think that the sky with the personnel that they had, which is very successful. We saw how successful it was in the regular season, but they reverted to a style of play that the aces had been dealing with where they had so many good shot makers inside the arc and then Kayla McBride and once Kelsey Plum kind of revitalized herself, then they had those two outside um, shot makers. They had those two threats from deep. The Sky have players who could make threes in terms of Allie, Candace, Courtney, Emma, uh, Cobb, once or twice a night can hit a three. Um, even Z from the corner where she's usually best. But those aren't gunners like you see that Las Vegas has this season that can consistently step outside. You have to guard them on the perimeter the whole time. So they lived and died with their inside the arc scoring. And when Connecticut, uh, Connecticut just kept hammering and hammering and hammering them. And the officiating let a lot of it go, save for really game two and game three, I think. And that just led to some, I think that led to fatigue that led to just overall sapping of energy um, Cobb put on a brilliant performance, as, as good as she could get this playoffs in game five. 
But when it came down the stretch, there were times where she was still driving into what Johnny Bott called the Citadel, three players around the basket, and either got a tie-up like we saw uh, or non-calls. And then when the sky really needed to, to hit that three, when they were down three or they just needed a bucket, sometimes they settled. And sometimes the shot, the shot just would not go down. And again, they, 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 let, they let the sun creep back into it. But it seemed like there was a point where the shoes just started weighing heavier and heavier on them, like five million pound shoes going up and down the court. Yeah. I think there was a play where, like you say, Alyssa Thomas in the open court is devastating. But whereas Candace would have stepped up to get her on those plays at the foul circle, she was backing up below the free throw line and letting her get penetration. And there's a couple times I leaned over to Josh Hicks where it's like we're talking about Alyssa Thomas, like that push shot is not good until it goes down. Yeah. And when you get Alyssa Thomas below the free throw line on the run, she can still hit that shot. You have to have her shoot that at the end of the shot clock in half court for it to be, okay, I could live with that. But on the fast break, she can either put that shot up and it's still a soft touch shot or find somebody who's cutting down if a double comes. And when you're backing up that far, again, just think it's a sign of fatigue. Yeah. They, man, it just, there's just moments in the playoffs where you look back and you say, this is a team that came in as fresh as they possibly could be. And more, more so than that, they looked like there were times where they just couldn't get it going because the, the body was not following the mind's directions. I don't, I don't think there's anyone to say that for me. I'm with you, man. I don't think the, the defense was necessarily the problem even last game. Like I do think because of how bad the offense was in that stretch that it didn't allow them to set up on the other end. And, you know, when Connecticut is able to initiate early offense like that, I mean, if you look at their numbers, like they have, they did increase their pace in the, last, the second half of the year, and they did look a little bit more comfortable doing that compared to other Kurt Miller coach teams. And look, the sky went two for 15 in the fourth quarter. Ali Quigley went 0 for 5. Kalia Copper went 1 for 3. Candace didn't have any shots at the, but she didn't take any shots. Emma Miesemann went 1 for 4. I mean, like those are players that you feel comfortable having the ball in their hands. And it's just about not executing. And I'm curious, Chris, how much do you feel like that? Though that little spat, let's just call it that, that Dewana Bonner and Kalia Copper had with one another. We heard like from the sun that like they looked up at the scoreboard and they're like, you know, we got this after a, a play like that. But how much do you feel like that actually ignited them to push forward and actually like, finish the comeback there are plays like that and I think that was one of those plays where um they were already kind of creeping back in the game and that play showed frustration and it's not that it wasn't uh it's not that it was undue frustration like I said Kalia Copper had been getting Kalia Copper had been getting knocked around every time she drove to the basket and those are calls that she should get she's a quality player in this league a star and those are star calls uh, whether there's light contact or heavy contact. But she got frustrated because I think there might have been a no call on the other end. And just the fact that this guy gave the bucket up in, in transition there and she was behind, it was a foul. But there was just, you know, she she let that frustration boil over at Dewana Bonner's typical celebration. She knew the team was coming back. She's one of the emotional leaders of the team. She was screaming and caught took umbrage with it. And not only did Connecticut, that, that showed that there was, you know, a crack in the sky armor that is like, okay, we can reel this team in. 
they got a break. They were able to get a break, go over to the huddle and really talk about it. And Kurt Miller said as much in the podcast and sorry, in the post game. And I think DB did too. She said, okay, we've kept it close. We're right there. We can get back in this game. We can take this lead. And that's exactly what they did. I, I recall um, in the 92 finals against the Blazers and the Bulls, uh, I think in game three or four, uh, Mike Jordan got a technical foul and the Blazers really rode that surge of momentum and ended up taking the lead and killing the game off on a tech in the third quarter. And that was the best Bulls team by far of their championship run in the 90s. Everybody was pretty much at the peak of their powers. And I think that was a moment where the Blazers were able to get that, that same idea. Their team frustrated. It's a close series. They're playing us very tough. We're playing them very tough. We can reel them in. And that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what Connecticut did. Yeah. It kind of felt like Dewana Bonner was the one that kind of punched them in the mouth the last two games. And I do think she was kind of the emotional leader. And then when you see that play when her and Kagi kind of tangled up and Dewana's like not taking any of it. I mean, God, I would not want to be in a fight with Kalia Copper. I don't know how anyone <laughs> could have any confidence Dewana's well, got that reach. She's got that reach, man. She's wiry. I wouldn't want to fight DB either. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, it was a moment where it's like, we're not afraid of this. You know, we're, we, they, the Sun, I don't want to say they had nothing to lose, but I don't think anyone expected them, especially heading into the fourth quarter, that anyone thought that they were going to win this game. And it, would anyone really blame them if they didn't win this game after they're, again, just abysmal third quarter i it was like we saw in that in the first minute of it was pretty sloppy basketball for both teams but i was like oh, oh yeah connecticut has nothing right now like that nothing is working for connecticut so when dewana bonner and we got to give her credit man like she the last two games of the series she averaged 17 points and she shot 52.4 percent from the field 40 percent from deep made all eight of her free throws, had 2.5 blocks and two steals. Um, she averaged 2.5 blocks and two steals. She won the Sun this series. And what Kurt said after the game about how she kind of like took the entire team under her wing and was like, you know what, Kurt, we're not going to watch film today. We just got to talk about what we need to do to execute and make sure we can come back to bring what we had in game four over to game five and when you don't have a leader like that, when you ha- and it's a short turnaround, I just it's hard to win games like that. And I do think we talk a lot about the Sky's championship pedigree when you got to look at Dewana Bonner, who's also been through those moments before. And I think throughout that fourth quarter, like they really looked up to her and they were able to really, again, that's I think that's the reason why they're in the finals right now is because of her. And I I was completely wrong about this series after game three, completely wrong. I didn't think Dewana Bonner could be the person to be the one. Like I thought like, okay, JJ's got to be lights out the rest of the way. And it's like, no, like Dewana Bonner put this team on her back. And that's what led, I mean, I obviously give Connecticut all around the credit they deserve, but man, Dewana Bonner really impressed me this series. And I don't think that the Sun are going to win in the next round. I mean, God, you get the Aces extended rest. And yeah. <laughs> now, like, they just took a charter yesterday. 
to, uh, you know, to Vegas. And I don't, I just have a really hard time seeing anyone stopping Chelsea Gray right now, but this was a big moment for Connecticut. And I think a lot of people counted them out, including myself. And I just, hats off to them. Hats off to them. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And once you, you, you showed me and you said that Duane Nabana was not a good three-point shooter historically in the playoffs, and I was surprised and I looked it up, I, I'd have to go back and see what her percentage was this series, but I know it was miles better than 29.4, uh, not just because of game four, but God, she was hitting big shots when they needed them and they counted and it wasn't just like we're hitting threes in garbage time. She was hitting shots in the mix, in the mix. When they really were needed, she was getting buckets and getting buckets from so many places on the floor. When, when Natisha Heidemann cooled down after the first quarter and the sky pulled things, um, pulled ahead in the second, the second and third quarter was pretty much their time. And God. Let's. I want to explain how bad Connecticut looked in that third quarter. They turned the ball over four of their first five possessions, and the other uh, the other one was a badly missed Heidemann three that went off the side of the rim. And the Sky weren't necessarily scoring at that point, and they were making some mistakes too, but they were able to get the shots when they needed them. And then they started turning Connecticut over. So not only were the Sun making unforced errors, the sky were really getting after them. And I went over it. I went like two sections over to get to Steven Garner and asked him, like, are they doing anything different? He's like, no, nah, they're just getting after it. Finally. It's like, they were just getting after it on defense. And so that, that makes it so much more um, confounding that the air went out of the balloon so quickly after that, it was like, they shot their shot early. Let's move on. Well, just one thing too. I think what's really tough about this game for Chicago is that they forced 23 turnovers, got 17 points off those turnovers and still didn't win. Like, God, they did what they needed to do defensively. They did. I, I, when you hold a team to even just 72 points, like I think that's actually probably what you want right there is some somewhere between that 65 to 72 range to feel like, you know what? We had a good defensive day. You held a team to 45.8% from the field. If you probably take out that last four minutes and 46 seconds too, it's probably like closer to the like 39%. And I would have to go back and do the math, but it, that shooting percentage probably drops dramatically too. It's just sky just didn't come up defensively. And, you know, before we move on, I'm just going to say too, that we're going to do an off season podcast because me and Chris talked about it before the show and there's just so much to dive into in terms of the future of this team. And we'll touch lightly on it today, but this was one of the most important games in the franchise's history, honestly, because there's just not many opportunities you're going to get when you have Candace Parker, Emma Mieseman, Kalia Copper, Ali Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot, all probably not making what they deserve. You know, I know Ali left $59,000 on the table this past off season. Ka could have signed for that full, super max if she wanted emma i mean 185k like seems like a lot but she arguably was a top 10 player in the league this year azrae stevens i mean she made 140k this year i kind of think that she's going to get more money somewhere else and maybe she gets it from chicago if cp retires and emma meeseman doesn't come back but rebecca gardner too on a rookie scale like it's just she's a restricted free agent but i do think that she, 
all players have leverage when it comes to free agency because they can just say, I'm taking the summer off. So this was a big game of just having this nucleus of players that was talented enough to win the finals. I don't, again, I, I, I really have a hard time seeing anybody beating the aces, but at the same time, this team was talented enough to, to beat the aces and that aces team is going to be around longer because they re-signed most of their players during the season and before it. So this was a big moment for Chicago. We're not going to see the same team that we saw this year. And this was a huge game. Five was a really franchise altering game for them. And it's too bad that they don't get a chance to show that they could beat the best of the best again um, against the aces. Um, and I'm by the best of the best, I mean like, them being one of the best teams and the Aces being one of the best teams. It's too bad that we don't get to see this guy moving forward with that. But well, let's talk about the post game, Chris, because this became a kind of a topic of conversation. Um, and I, I mean, it happened right after the game. And then I tweeted something as well that kind of reignited it a little bit. Um, hmm. You know, Kurt Miller after the game, he was firing some, pull quotes man <laughs> he was firing some pull quotes he was really just he had some sass and I didn't expect that out of Kurt Miller I haven't been on a, like a ton of sun press conferences or anything but so maybe he is like that more often but like I didn't expect to see this man like really putting a lot of things out there one of the things that came up during a question that you asked Chris just about Connecticut's championship window or just not like focusing on the now versus what comes up after their really tough stretch for them, where they just haven't been able to reach the mountaintop coming so close to it. A lot of, like a lot of those years, um, you know, Kurt Miller gave you an, like he answered your question, but then he went into some, he talked about how one of the things that he would hope people say is that um, he said, I want to go on record for this. We've knocked Candace Parker out of the playoffs three out of the last four years. She's an incredible all-time great in this league, but I hope someone writes the combination of John Quill Jones, Alyssa Thomas, and Bree Jones have knocked her out three out of the last four years. I hope that post group gets credit for what they do night in and night out for us. I really hope our post game gets the credit they deserve. And there were people and some outlets that omitted the part where Kurt complimented her, which I think is a pretty important part of this quote. But he just said, we've knocked Candace out of the playoffs three out of the last four years. She was asked about it and she handled it with such grace and composure. Like after an emotional win like that, you get a question that might push your buttons. And it was a great question from Phil Thompson to actually follow up on this and give her the chance to respond. You know, she just said, we value raising banners, not or like we value like getting titles, not conference banners that to me yeah, is we don't, we don't hang conference championship banners which is kind of funny in itself since there's not really any conference championships right now <laughs> exactly right uh, that's a good point i didn't even think about it from that end but you know i i said my whole thing on twitter about how i really hated how people left out some of the context i'm going to give my opinion now because we're on a podcast and this is where the reporter can uh <laughs> step to the side for a second um, and give my opinion on it. Uh -oh. I, kinda, I fucking hated that Kurt Miller phrase just the way that <laughs> I did not like how, I think that when you're talking about something like this, I don't, I just didn't think this was the right time. Like maybe this is something you even bring up casually more in a 
next round situation with the finals or something, but then maybe that could be a talking point, but like, I, I don't know how much he thought about this heading into this press conference, but it just felt pretty messy to just bring up something like this. And um, I, I just thought that was kind of a cheap shot when you should be just be focusing on like your players and uh, on how they were able to rise after beating this collective sky team and not kind of put it in the, I don't know. I just didn't, I, it rubbed me the wrong way. I know it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, even with the context. I don't think that this was the time to bring this up and at least just be so, if to me, I, I will say, I think I felt a little cavalier the way that he brought it up at the press conference, just that that seemed like a cheap shot. And I know that a lot of people feel the same way, but did I, am I overreacting right now, Chris? Like, how do you feel about it? It was weird in the room. It was a weird quote in the room because I'd asked about Dewana Bonner specifically. And um, like you said, yeah. Is it are the are the sun playing loose and, and easy since they um, since they have so much to think about in the offseason and since Kurt has a lot to think about for himself. And he started out just saying that uh, Dewana meant so much to their team. And after game two, she um, took the team aside. And I believe she said earlier that she told them it's like we're playing tight. We should just play loose. He said specifically that he had a players only meeting and he didn't want to know, he didn't know him, didn't want to know what they talked about in that meeting. But then he shifted into that. And, you know, I think sometimes there's things that just come up in your head, obviously for anybody, there's just like a moment where you're like, Oh, and I wanted to make this point, but I think it's, there's so much context that, that people realize recognize and then is also you have to glean where it's coming from and i'm not kurt miller i'm not a friend of his so i can't ask him what he was thinking after but in the with the full context there is some mollifying of of the quote because he said she is an incredible great player in this league which she is we all know but and then, you know, then he went on to say, it's like, I hope that the, this trio gets credit, which kind of goes along with the whole hashtag disrespect moniker that the Sun have been pushing the last few years. But as people pointed out as well, John Quill Jones sat in 2020. Um, our, our caustic, sarcastic friend, Stephen Trinkwald said, I too am upset that Kurt Miller gave credit to um, Alyssa Thomas in 2020 instead of Natisha Heidemann. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> I didn't even watch the rest of that because once the once I realized that the sky were losing, I was like, "This sucks, man. I hate I hate everything about this year." <laughs> I will fully admit that, but I think it it is telling because it's it's how his team got to that point, knocking Candace out of the playoffs. Oh, and we didn't even talk about Derek Fisher's. Um, Deplorable coaching job with the Sparks that allowed Connecticut ding, to knock ding, Candace ding. Parker out of the playoffs. Didn't even mention that. So I think that there is context for it, and I don't think it, it was malicious as it might have seemed, especially when people tried to boil it down to one thing, which is we're in the we're in the area of a six-second attention span. It's not going to get any better, folks. There's not going to be anything but clickbait headlines, and if you want to do a deep dive, you're going to have to do it yourself. But I think that there was a lot of fuckery in trying to distill that quote to the morsels of Kurt Miller hates Candace Parker, which is where a lot of people were taking it. Now, does Gino Ari Ariema hate Candace Parker? 
And does he coach in the same state as Kurt Miller? Yes, those, I think those statements are true, but I don't think that extends to Kurt Miller hating Candace Parker. I think that he was trying to give credit to his team and did it in a kind of a bad, backhandedly complimentary way. This is just my thing. Look at the entire quote, then judge Kurt Miller, because guess what? I'm judging Kurt Miller for that, but the entire context of the quote is really important. And I do think what you just said about like having wandering thoughts. I mean, it wasn't even just talking about Dewan and then he went right into the Candace thing. He said, it's interesting, right? We've now played three years in a row. We've knocked out Chicago twice and they knocked us out and they'll take their championship for sure. It won't mean anything. Yes. If you can't finish that. But all three series, the lower seed one, an interesting dynamic. And then he went into the Candace thing. Like, that's another piece of this. It's like, you're right, man. He was just wandering in with his thoughts. And I'm sure that he does feel that his front court deserves more credit than it got, which, you know, I, I, I have a hard time imagining that front court getting more credit than it already does. Um, get three all-stars. Um, <laughs> people making whatever. But the whole thing, I again, um, but with the full context, I still think that Kurt shouldn't just leave Candace out of your mouth right now, man. Just be a good sport. You won the, the series. You get a chance to finally redeem yourself as, I mean, just again, the last four or five years to lose so many times after having to get yourself in a position where you can win. And again, that 2019 loss has got to just haunt them after they pushed an all-time Washington team to the brink. But, man, I just have uh, – I had some qualms with this. In the, in the moment, I, I was – like, I almost turned to the person next to me and just be like, did he really just say that? Maybe that's just <laughs> me being reactionary, but I, I did not like that at all, and I, I, I thought it was bullshit. But, Chris, we do have some listener-submitted questions. Are you ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> i'm screaming yes the answer to that question is yes i'm ready all right let's do it man let's do it um so we did these on twitter and we'll try to be better too about um asking you all this stuff i think we're going to start to start a newsletter just to get to let people know who aren't on twitter when episodes come out so it gets, gets to their gmail or it gets to your email and that way you don't have to be on that terrible bird app but um we ask people on twitter <laughs> got but, my computer shaking <laughs> you did I, I love that um so dana evans is a bucket that's a really fun handle there um she asked about dana just specifically they wanted to know why she wasn't used in game five i think we kind of touched on this already chris but do you feel, I mean, maybe let's open it up. Do you feel like Dana should have played in game five? I think at some point you have to do something differently. And this is the thing that I was going to touch on later that somebody pointed out yesterday on the um, space hosted by Kristen Braswell and Sabria Whitaker. The, sun, the sky had three timeouts in their pocket when they walked off the court Thursday night. At some point, you got to do some things differently. You, you throw Dana in for, a, like I always say, you throw Dana in for a couple of minutes and see what happens. If she gets roasted, she gets roasted. But by that point, things are already sliding downhill. You got to try and put your hand in the dike or nothing's really going to change. I think we saw that before it happened. We saw things 
playing out as they ended up playing out where Allie Quigley wasn't able to, when Allie didn't hit that three on the run, a shot that she is probably as good at hitting as she is on any, any of her catch and shoot opportunities. That's when I was like, you got to change things up. Like you said, bring Rebecca Gardner in, try and get her more touches, try and pressure the ball on the sideline so that they can get out on a fast break and get an easy basket. And I think playing Dana Evans had something to do with that. I said before the game that I didn't think she was going to get any time unless it was a big win one way, one side or the other. But next year is really the time when you have to decide how you're going to use Dana Evans, how you're going to use Ruthie Habert, or if you're going to um, stick them with another team. So I think that there should have been some Dana Evans time, whether in the, the third quarter or early in the fourth, just to make a change, just to make Connecticut have to do some things differently. Throw Dana Evans off ball if you want to keep Julian, have her run through some screens and find an open shot somewhere. But I did want to see some Dana Evans time for sure. So in the fourth quarter, the minutes break down. It was Kalia Copper, eight minutes, Emma Meesman, eight forty-seven, Candace Parker, eight fifty-two, Allie Quigley, eight seventeen, Courtney Vandersloot, eight fifty-two. Julie played 109, um, 108 minutes, excuse me, and Rebecca Gardner played 343. There's probably something, too, maybe with Julie, taking Julie out. Um, she she had some nice defensive possessions. Yeah. You know, she, we, we both said that to each other. Yeah, we did. And, like, I thought she had some really nice moments there. I guess the thing that I have a hard time with is that if you – and Dana didn't play that much in the second half of the year, or actually pretty much since Julie Alamon came to the sky. I guess I have a hard time in like a, in crunch time bringing in someone that again just hasn't played that much. And you know she had ten points in garbage time, and that's you know she had some really nice moments. Like um, you know, but the Sun did look at her, like I don't know. Again, target always feels like a extreme word, but like they went after Dana a little bit during that time as well, and. You know, I get why if the game is going to turn into a defensive battle, and it was up until that point. Again, these aren't really great high-scoring games that we've saw throughout this series, probably outside of just game four. But I just have a hard time, like, throwing in a, a different element into the mix when, when, again, you've been consistently working with this exact group, like this exact, like, seven-person rotation and then in the final, at the end, just, okay, throw this new wrinkle in. We're going to take, take out Allie Quigley and replace her with Dana. Like, I think that's the part where I can't quite, I get why maybe they didn't want to do something like that. But, you know, Dana Evans is not going to accept the same role she had last year. I mean, you look uh, at exit interviews, she said, like, I want to play. I want to be a factor. And I think that she has 100% deserved that opportunity to show that she can be a big, I mean, again, like, I think that she deserves a chance to play 20 minutes a game, whether that's with the sky or elsewhere. And I get after a season like this, especially when, again, your team is struggling offensively. You're on the bench and you're like, I feel like I can make a difference in this game. I hope people know that have listened to the show where I've pushed back on the idea of bringing Dana in. It has all come from a place of looking at it from the entire team standpoint and rather than, um, making it seem like I don't think Dana's a good player because I do think she is. I think what she did in training camp, if you look back at what I wrote for the next, it's like, oh, this is going to be a big Dana Evans season if she gets minutes because she looked unstoppable in training camp. Her sh- every like It felt like every shot was going in. 
And I do think that if she's on this team next year, and I do think it's going to look different, Dana's going to get have an opportunity to really excel. And I hope that she does because that grit is something you can't teach. And I think James Wade kind of gravitates towards those players with grit. But Julie Alamon also said it was a tough season for her also playing backup, you know, after playing, you know, being a starter overseas. Ruthie Hebert kind of echoed a similar sentiment of she wants to be a factor. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting, man. Um, but for in terms of Dana coming in for game five, again, just messing with the formula, I'm always just going to, especially when the sky felt like they probably had the upper hand at home. If you deviate too much, that I feel like that can be a little chaotic at times. But, hey, you know what? It didn't end up working, so maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Y'all heard it here first. James is a conservative coach. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm, <not. laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had, to, I, had to get a I had to get a sound bite in there. <laughs> oh, my God. That just took two years off my life. You know I've been dealing with heart issues, Chris. You know I've been dealing with heart issues. This is a cardiac problem. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> James like the, James wants things to come back to the old way they were done. Oh, Yesterday. God. Yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's the last no one. No pre-Civil War reenactment, okay? No. I'm not doing you that. You know I can you know I can't say shit. I'm the guy who is always like, mm, let's see what happens first. I'm like, I am, I am, um, I'm Aaron Burr before uh, <laughs> Hamilton started getting shit done, and then he was like, oh, all right, I'm not just gonna wait and see what happens. Uh, I'm Aaron Burr in the early part of the musical. Uh, You're but, the yeah, only person that's ever said I'm the Aaron Burr of. <laughs> I'm the Aaron Burr of basketball coaches before the election of 1800 because all of my sports coaching choices are informed by musicals. You know, you get it? <laughs> no, we both agree. You can't have a player like Ruthie Hebert on your team. And we've seen what Ruthie can do. She's an above average rebounder. She always just seems to finish around the basket. And I know that she has to have been working on her mid-range shot and defense because those are the things that really are going to keep her uh, from cracking a lineup yeah. if there's anything. But you can't have Ruthie Hebert as a practice player um, in this league. She came off one of the most successful college teams of all time. And as those players are getting time in the league, Ruthie's really the only one that has not seen consistent playing time. And I think that we know that she's deserving of it, whether it's in Chicago or somewhere else. And the same goes with Dana. You can't say that I made a mistake by not drafting Dana Evans and then not play her. Simple as that. So the next year is definitely the time where the sky are going to have to replace a lot of pieces for sure. And I, I want to get to that on the, on the next episode, on the, on the next episode, but you have to make time for those three players that we just mentioned, Julie, Dana, and Ruthie. Agreed. I mean, it's the hardest part about constructing a team that has so many weapons is that those weapons want to be fired by themselves, you know, like, and that's that was a fantastic quote. Thank you. <laughs> and that's really hard, though. I mean, I think James did a really good job of managing minutes this year. And, I, you know, the veterans got the rest they needed. Julie Alamon probably just played enough, at least, to, like, feel like she knew what her role was going to be. I mean, talking about Courtney Vandersloot, one of the best point guards of all time, Allie Quigley next to her, I mean, is, again, she came back. She didn't take 135K for no reason, like just to sit around and be the sixth woman, you know? So it's like, and maybe 
Ellie wouldn't have cared, but I think she proved last year as just one of the best shooting seasons she's had ever that she deserved to be on the starting, like in the starting lineup and they won with that formula. So it's kind of hard, right? Like I feel bad for Ruthie too. I mean, she's had stretches where she's looked really good. And then this year it's hard when you don't get consistent tick. And I feel like you don't know a player's real value until they, like they can have some type of comfort in the role that they have some of the time. But in a league like this, you kind of just have to rise when you're given the opportunity, like Dana Evans did late in game four, just be like, hey, I'm going to go four or five and score 10 points in game four. And just want to remind you who I am kind of moment. And uh, I'm curious how it's going to work with Ruthie. She does have a rookie, like a protected rookie scale contract for next year. What's the exact phrase of it? It's um, a, yeah, protected rookie scale scale contract. They did pick up that fourth year option, I believe, on her deal. So it's 84K on like on the bench. Are you going to play Ruthie? Are you going to try to trade Ruthie then? Like if she doesn't get the time, I mean, there's all things that we, they, the sky are going to have to ask themselves heading into the off season. Um, well, let's get to the next one. That was a really long one. My bad. Um <laughs> At Pretzel Pasta asks, not specific Ooh. to the sky, except, yeah, Pretzel Pasta, that's like putting chips on your sandwich. Um, oh. <laughs> not specific to the sky, except when it is in, in parentheses. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but after the issues in these semis, I really want to understand more about WNBA fishing protocols, including personnel processes, training, pay, player safety, how the W... Uh, the the WBPA and CBA fit into the picture. Oof. I think there's a lot to unpack with this one. Um, I think we've talked about on the show before just how G League officials who are, again, trying to get their way to the NBA learn speed of being able to officiate the NBA. Um, They're the ones used in the WNBA. And I have talked to people, and I think I've said this before on the podcast even a couple episodes ago, but I want to reiterate this point when I covered high school sports, when I covered high school basketball, college basketball, WNBA, every coach that I've spoken to has said there is a wide gap between the quality of the officials on the men's side versus on the women's side. And that is something that holds back the play. It dictates the results of games and it is a colossal problem right now. And we've seen even if it's just a couple of plays per game, it, I don't know. Like if you look at this, the officiating this, this past series with the sky, they looked like they were thinking about taking contact when they got to the rim before they absorbed it, because there was a precedent sent from the onset that you can get away with being brutal in the paint. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's just like what it is, but there was some inconsistency, consistency with that as I felt as the series came along and I do think there is an officiating problem in the W. I know people try to report on it and they've been shut down by having inquiries with talking about it. Um, so, or talking to people within the league about it. So it's a whole thing, but what, where do you stand with it, Chris? I mean, do you think uh, there needs to be more accountability on the WNBA officiating side? Yeah. As there's been more eyes on the league, um, there's been more scrutiny of the of how the game is played and how the game is officiated. Uh, ever since that Kevin Fahey technical foul against the Stu Do that just hit the airwaves and went just nuts, 
everybody was talking about that. I mean, everybody was talking about that. People who don't give a damn about women's basketball were talking about that. And everybody had the same reaction that it was a fucking egregious call. And now we've had, they're good. There are more people watching the league than have, I think, other than at the outset of the league's creation in 1997. And so there are so many people, both in my sphere, echo chamber, whatever you want to call it, talking about Cheryl Flores. I saw somebody who said um, their, their dad, there was a lot of wholesome tweets about my dad who doesn't watch sports and my mom who doesn't watch sports was texting me about these games. And somebody said, oh, that short curly haired ref is here, which means it's going to be tough for the sky. They're talking about Cheryl Flores. And everybody's on the lookout for these officials like they were with Scott Foster and Chris Paul games, like Bulls fans were with Hugh Hollins when he was in the league. Like people talked about Jake O'Donnell um, in terms of, you know, how games were going to be officiated. Um, Ron Garretson, all of these guys who you talk, who um, NBA fans talk about, these kinds of things are going to come up with WNBA games now and until the end of time. Yep. So the league, as much as they're talking about paying players more, they've got to put the money out to get better officials because you can't, the same way that you want to prioritize, you're going to have to prioritize your officials too. And that's going to call, that's going to cost money. You don't want to have G league officials pulling double duty if it's going to affect their performance. And if we're going to get results on the court like these, I had a question on, on Twitter during the game about why are there all these tie-ups? There was a play in the third quarter, I believe, where Courtney Williams clearly had possession of the ball and was signaling frantically for timeout. And again, I'm not a real big Connecticut Sun fan after this series, but Courtney Williams made the right play, didn't get a timeout, and another jump ball was called. There does not have to be six or seven jump balls every game. Whether women, go for, whether women go for the ball um, and hustle for it more often than men is a debatable point. But you can allow somebody to get possession. There was a play, I think, where uh, Dewana Bonner had a ball and just pulled it away, and she would have had the possession if a jump ball had not been called half a second before. Let these kinds of plays play out. Yes. Let these contact plays play out. Let players talking to each other play out before you get in between them. I'm going to say it. I said it once. I'm going to say it again. And if you have backlash, let me have it. But jump balls and referees calling quick texts are sexist. And I don't care what you think. It is what it is. Jump balls. It jump is balls just... are jump balls are sexist. Every jump ball. <laughs> just have somebody take a sideline out of bounds to start the game. I just I I can't stand the jump ball calls that we've seen in this league because to me I feel like seventy five percent of the time it is a foul. Someone jumping like on top of someone else's body and like getting their one hand on the ball on the other side and it's like oh yeah jump ball it's both players have possession it's like what are we talking about right now what are we <laughs> talking about that's clearly just a foul oh my god when John Quell Jones jumps like topples over fucking Courtney Vandersloot and like barely touches the ball and they're immediately like we see two officials with their hands up two thumbs up calling for a jump ball it's just like what I, I can't it, it drives me nuts it drives me nuts because it, the flow of the game gets so disrupted by it. And I'm always, I just love fast paced basketball more than, it, you know, just like just bruising in the paint all the time. And like having a bunch of foul calls that I, don't, I hate watching free throw contests in the NBA for that reason. And yeah, whew, 
I just, that is such a big thing. Like charges. I think people talk about that being the thing that we want to eliminate from the game. I see that all the time on NBA Twitter and I, or just basketball Twitter in general, but man, these jump balls to me, that's the thing that like, I hope we hone in on that a little bit more next season and just eliminating some of those calls, but let's, uh, let's finish up with one thing from Dennis. Um, so again, there's a couple people that asked about the sky's future. And again, we're going to save some of those questions for a different podcast. Um, also shout out to Dennis, man. Uh, yeah. Dennis from the, the Netherlands, right? Is, Is it, it the ne- Netherlands or Belgium? That's what, I, I, that's what I, I always kind of get screwed up on. I'm going to check it right now because Dennis has been watching us since day se- one. Man, and he's been such a fan of the show and such a fan of the league, and it's it's awesome when when he when he tweets for us. Yeah, from the Netherlands. So big ups to Dennis, man. You're a real one. Yeah, man. Oh, love Dennis. Just love everyone that listens to this show. Honestly, I, you know what? I'll save that for a different time because I do want to. I do want to share a message with all of you um, about this past season and how much it's meant to me. Um, in you know, what it's meant to you and me, Chris, like, this is something that, like, it's cool that we're at a point where we've got a little bit of a community here, so, but let's just finish up with talking about the exit interviews. Chris, do you mind if I just go really quick with this, because there are just a couple of notes that just came from the exit interviews. Go for it, yeah. Ali Quigley is not playing overseas this year, and one thing that I reported for the next back in May is that Courtney Vandersloot signed with Hungary when she decided not to play for UMMC next year due to the, the conflicts in Russia, due to Russia wrongfully detaining Brittany Greiner, who heard a talk about that one. Um, but I, one of the things I asked her was, did you do this? Like, did you go to Sopron because you wanted to be a domestic player with Ali because they both have dual citizenships in Hungary and that actually there's a rule that where you can only have so many foreign players on your team overseas and Courtney was like, yeah, I mean, that's they, that factored into my decision to pick Hungary's as long as like, along with wanting to just go back and play for them because they hadn't, she hadn't a little bit. Um, so yeah, Ali Quigley, if she does play overseas, I don't think she is. I actually do think that she's probably going to retire. I'm not reporting that. What's the thought? So, I got you. I, I just, she mentioned that how she's like, I did this, I played overseas for 14 years and it's like, I just need a break. So I think that should be the thing that we hang on till for now until she makes her decision about her basketball future. But that's one thing that came out of it. I already mentioned that Dana and Ruthie both expressed that they want, and Julie Aleman expressed that they want more playing time, which definitely makes sense. Azaree Stevens said that she has not contemplated what her future is like as a free agent that she's still figuring out like, Hey, we've just got to recover from the game five before I can even think about free agency, but I believe she's leaving in like October. So she's got some time to hang out in North Carolina, which is where I believe that she's from. Um, And prioritization. Now this was the biggest one, Chris, this was the biggest one. A lot of people talking about this. Emma Miesemann also just such a great person man I like got to know Emma a little bit I'm like I really hope she's on this team next year but she talked about how Turkey sh- like the shortened their season a little bit to me like and she said that it was she was not sure if it's a hundred percent due to the prioritization rule but that 
it is because, but they are preparing for players having to leave early, you know, potentially. And so Turkey is shortened there. Like the, um, I forget, it starts at the NAF. I can't think of the exact name off the top of my head, actually. I'm still working on my EuroLeague knowledge, but. On um, the team? Yeah, it's like. Uh, Fenerbahce. Yes. Just Fener for short. Yeah. yeah. And so she also, I think, left today for, to go play over there. Insane. But Rebecca Gardner is someone who said um, that the Spanish league is not making room, like it's not doing anything to really counter this prioritization role in its own leagues. And that's why she said that a lot of American players are not going to be in the Spanish league. And I think that she said something about her agent trying to figure out the whole, what she could possibly do to come back to the W. Cause I do think that's something that she does want to do after enjoying a really successful year this year. And Candace Parker, I thought had the most interesting answer to this, where she said there were a lot of times where when I talk about the off season, uh, like, or like my side gig, I thought of that the WNBA is that in my overseas commitment where I get paid, I think she said like 14 times more than what I got paid in the W like that's where I made my money. And that's how I got my to pay for my daughter to go to private school, like real things, you know, like these are real. I think that the sentiment from all three of those players, especially was I understand what the league is trying to do, but it really hurts European players and, um, you know, players that are just trying to supplement the income that they don't get here. So, um, yeah, I think that is, I would say those are the highlights. I'm going to be writing about it for the next after this, uh, after this episode is recorded. Um, yeah, Chris, any final thoughts though, before we head out? I mean, this is, I really thought that we would be doing a finals preview today. I'm not going to lie. I appreciate you for that, man. It's good to know that this topsy-turvy, up-and-down, um, hang-on-for-dear-life season and summer has not sapped all of the earnest youth from you uh, because I was in here like, mm, I don't know if this team is going to make it back. I think it was Essence Carson after the game said it's so, so hard to repeat on online. And it is. It is, but I, I think the one thing is that I want to I want to push back just a bit on something that you said, not because yeah. I think it was unfounded, just because I disagree with the point. Sure. The, the Sky are coming into an offseason where they're going to have to make a lot of change for sure. But I don't necessarily know if this is a franchise-altering game mm-hmm. only because it, they had the chance to repeat, but they, they won the championship. They won the championship with a, with a franchise that didn't – get to the playoffs before nearing the middle of the 2010s after having been in the league for they they were very close to hitting a 10-year anniversary as a franchise without having made the postseason and having let and having their legacy be you know letting go of players too soon like Candace Dupree or or not succeeding with the with the talent that they had and then, you know, they, they brought in Elena Dell or, you know, just having players leave ignominiously like EDD and Sylvia Fowles. But they, against a lot of odds, won the championship last year. So if there was ever a franchise-altering game for the Sky, uh, I know a lot of people would probably say game four of the finals because they were down the whole game. Uh, Sabria mentioned it on the Twitter space. There was kind of the feeling of, hey, I don't know. 
but there was always the feeling of like we won game three Friday night. There's there's a chance it's going to happen. We've seen it happen this playoffs. But I think if there was a franchise altering game for them is that game against Minnesota, the game that I thought they were going to lose where Alicia Clarendon didn't come back in, where Minnesota couldn't get the ball down to Sylvia Fowles in the post and where they won honestly pretty handily, where I think the team just said, all right, let's go for it. We're playing with house money now. The pressure's on everybody else. Um, you could say game three uh, against Connecticut two or game four, but I think if there was ever one, it was that, the single elimination game against Minnesota. Because after that, uh, the championship wasn't assured, but it got a whole lot easier, I think, in the minds of the team and in the minds of the fans. Absolutely. And, and I, don't, I don't want everybody to forget, y'all witnessed the championship last year. Y'all witnessed the championship. Y'all got to witness a Chicago basketball championship. And you know that everybody in Chicago, true, real Chicagoan, not, not y'all folks on, on Milwaukee Avenue that smoke American spirits, <laughs> the truest of Chicagoans. What are you Those. saying about me, Chris? What are you saying about <laughs> yeah, me? Yeah, James, if you were ever that guy, I would pay money to see you. Let's get, I want to see James K in a, in a, um, Oh, not the, the not the descendants. Uh, let me the minor threat. We'll get James a minor threat T-shirt and some like and some Doc Martens and have him bartending at Coles before the, the decades out. That's what's gonna happen. That's where my career is trending, Chris. So we'll, don't rule that. <laughs> <it out. laughs> but y'all got to see a championship. So hold on to that. It, it's going to be a rough off season. I, I think it's going to be a rough off season, like you said, but hold on to that. You got to hold on to it. The one thing I'll say about it being a franchise altering game is that if they were able to get to the finals and they were to lose to that ACES team or win, right. The conversation about going for some of these players to leave becomes harder, right? Can't, if they win two in a row, Candace is a Bulls fan, right? She watched Jordan win three in a row. Do you not do you pass up on the opportunity to uh, try to go after three? I mean, it's hard to be a true Chicagoan and not try to pull off something like that. I mean, that just elevates you to, I mean, I think that she's already a God, but that you're like you and the inner and you and the universe play fucking chess every Sunday from there on in, like you're that big of a force at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, can Courtney Vandersloot leave in free agency after winning two chips or like, I just think the idea of walking away is so much harder if the sky are able to repeat or, um, you know, I think it's just hard. Like Annie actually asked Annie Costable, the Chicago Sun-Times asked a great question yesterday, just about how she asked James Wade, if you don't have the same chip to play of you won back-to-back championships, let's run it back one more time. Like what's your message to the free agents? had that big smile of his and he just said, let's go and win two out of three, nothing else. That was just that, it was that silence on the call. Everyone laughed and she was like, cool. (laughs) Great quote, by the way, from James there, but um, it's not as sexy of a pitch to be like, we we lost in the semifinals. Uh, Let's go for it again. It's like, I think there's a lot of factors that go into what, some of these players that are starting to age a little bit more. And uh, that to me is like, okay, this might be a new era of Chicago sky basketball. 
I think we've already entered a new era of the WNBA that kind of started this season. Now it officially takes off in 2023. In my mind, I just think that this is going to be this game five to me was really important, but I under, by all the points that you made too. I mean, Chris appreciating a championship is something that I don't think a lot of people do enough because once it's gone, like once your team is not the reigning champs anymore, once they go through another 10 years, I'm not saying this is going to happen in the sky, but look, not there's 12 teams in this league. There's 30 in if you're a Bulls fan. There's what I think 30 in the NFL. Um, I mean, like if you look go across the board, it's like only one team can win every year and your chances of getting to the point where you can outlast everyone else be, dwindle every time and enjoy the championships because they're not guaranteed. They're not guaranteed. And 2021 will always be one of the most special playoffs of my life. I know for you too, man, just like how you go through so much, you do things right that end up derailing your entire franchise and um, appreciate your championship teams. Appreciate this team too. You know, I don't, I don't think we're going to see um, many more games with Candace Parker, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley all on the same floor. We're talking about all-time players, you know. I was thinking about that Seattle game, last one at Wintrust, with Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, Brianne January, Jewel Lloyd, all the players we had named before. It's like how much talent – I mean, we're talking about all these all-time greats on the floor at the same time. It's – Still, you don't get a chance to appreciate that enough. I'm rambling. I'm sorry, Chris. I know you got to get going. Oh, talk your shit, man. Oh, talk your shit, man. I'm the only thing I'm going to do is is get these grits and get some carry out, bro. Yeah, <laughs> feel that, man. And right in everything that you said. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to watch these world championships soon. Going to get to see Diamond the Shields at the world championships, like you talked about two years ago. Man, I really, I am so happy that she gets that opportunity. You know, she. I'm, I've been, I root for diamond as a person so much, you know, like I don't really know uh, how much she really likes me after we had to be real on this podcast, you know, but like about like how things were and we just didn't know about what she was dealing with too, but um, on a physical from a yeah, physical standpoint, but I'm always going to root for diamond to shields and um, you know, it's just got to appreciate these players, man. Appreciate what you, you see. It's really hard to in right now. So with that, I guess the last thing I just want to say is this is kind of our last in-season podcast regarding the sky, just because, you know, we're moving out of the finals. We might, we might do some, we might talk about Seattle or not Seattle. That's my dream. Uh, <laughs> my dream match of Seattle versus <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk Vegas Sun. I don't think it's going to be that interesting of a series, but you know, we'll see. But just want to say at the end of this, though, like me and Chris, just we fucking love every single one of you that has listened to this show this year. And the people that have written into the mailbag, people that engage with us on our limited Twitter presence, we're working on that. Um, but God, I just, I, I appreciate the community that we have here so much. And you've been, I really, even going back to last year, I, I'm still not ready to really talk about my struggles from 2021, but at the same time, like the support that you all gave me and Chris, I don't, I don't know how much I'm able to get through this, this past year without the support and kind words from all of you. Cause 
this was one of the hardest professional seasons of my career. And uh, just from a personal standpoint, like how nice you all have been and supportive. Like I telling you that uh, gave me a little bit of life when as much as it kind of has been dwindling a little bit. So I appreciate all of you so much. Um, Chris, is there anything that you want to say as we uh, wrap up the sky season? Stop talking shit on my man's name. You know who you are. You know what you did. Don't do it again. I will come after you. Dead <laughs> ass. Yeah. Everybody else who loves us, great. Y'all are great. Y'all are fantastic. Uh, big ups to everybody out here who listens to the show, who's watched our goofy faces on video ever, um, who's asked us questions, who um, has done anything in, with regards to Skytown that isn't malicious and is actually more nutritious. Uh, thanks. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to our moms for birthing us so we could so we could do this dumb shit. There's always this one lie at the end. <laughs> you gotta finish with something crazy. Like, don't, don't DM James or thanks to our moms for birthing us. Oh, thank I you for reminding me. Do not direct message James K. He is taken. He is not out here for you to be like, oh, don't have his photo on your wall like he's Jonathan Taylor Thomas in Tiger Beat. Don't do that. <laughs> he's professional ask him real questions otherwise don't slide in his dms people don't do it trust me no one's doing that they're only it's only sun fans right now telling him like <laughs> what's up asshole he thought that <laughs> Dude, the last thing i'll say before we wrap it up there's this one uh i wrote this article i because i i you know i i really I know I I just feel I just feel strongly about sports, you know, and like as you know, I can I have fiery opinions sometimes, and I really dialed that back a lot this year. Just um, just again trying to just be like really understanding what it takes to do this now. And um, <laughs> but I did after that game three. I'm like, you know that you feel this, man. You don't feel like the Sun are going to be able to pull this off. And I wrote this article for the next. Where I said I described the origin for error of the sun being infinitesimal, and it ended up not being that way at all. It was, <laughs> was, it was just like, oh my god, I can't believe I went out on a limb finally, and then just snap. <laughs> but you know what? Um, we all take our L's, and uh, the Connecticut sun will. Uh, they get to wear it like they get to hit me over the head with that anytime they want because you know there's so many sun fans that listen to the show yes chris. <laughs> yes chris appreciate you so much man and um again i know you said something on twitter the other day just about how th this show would be where it's at if it, if it was just me i could not be more wrong you know like my god i love you so much what you put into this show is just it means everything to me. I know everyone on the show appreciates you and, um, you know, it's not here without you. So I just wanted to say that for the fans as well, because I know, no, 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 that they feel the same way and uh, appreciate you so much, man. I can't say that enough. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. Well, folks, we, that's it. You know, we're wrapping it up right now. Um, if you want to contact us though, to tell us why we got 
all of our observations. Give, give us like a, a week or two, you know, like we need, we need some off season too. Like just, I'm going to go to the um, Chicago broke boy equivalent of Cancun, which is uh, the promontory, but don't look for me there, please. I'm just going to be riding my bike and reading some books. Give us some time. I, I hear that. I hear that. Um, <laughs> I am going to drink so much wine tonight. Uh, I have, hey. Oh my God. Yeah. So much red wine. Um, but <laughs> if you do want to contact us, Hey, you know what? You can do so. And I'll, I'll, I'll hit you back while Chris is on his bike trip. Um, no, <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, but uh, our, e- <laughs> our email is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And if you want to find us on social media, Head to the episode description where you can find that information along with our Venmo if you want to contribute to the show financially. So we appreciate everyone who has supported us either financially or just listening to the show. I know it's not the way you all wanted the season to end, but we all uh, really appreciate you so, so much. And thanks for listening to the show. And until next time.